Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. All right, so this week, uh, our Torah portion is Vayera, which is, and I appeared. So we're continuing our reading in the book of Exodus. Last week, we began reading about how the children of Israel were, were enslaved with backbreaking labor and how God had heard the cry of his children. In Exodus 2, verse 23 through 25, the scripture says, Now it came about in the course of those many days that the king of Egypt died, and the sons of Israel sighed because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry for help because of their bondage rose up to God. So God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the sons of Israel, and God knew. God knew of their suffering, and he knew of the depravity of their oppressors. But God didn't just know of their sufferings. God knew their sufferings. Okay, In the Hebrew context, to know is an experiential or an active knowing. So within that aspect where the scripture says, and he knew, it reminds me of Genesis 46.4 where the Lord is encouraging Jacob as he is heading down into Egypt. And the Lord says to him, I shall descend with you to Egypt and I shall surely bring you up. And so God was with him as he descended down into Egypt, and he was with him and his offspring even in the midst of slavery. In Exodus 3.8, the scripture says, uh, the Lord says that I have descended to rescue. Specifically, he said, in, in, actually, in Exodus 3, 7 through 8, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the affliction of my people that is in Egypt, and I have heard its outcry because of its taskmasters, for I have known its sufferings. I have descended to rescue it from the hand of Egypt and to bring it up from, the, from that land to a good and spacious land, to a land flowing with milk and honey. Okay? So God has de- says that he has descended to rescue out of his great compassion for his people and knowing their sufferings. In Isaiah 63, verse 7 through 9, the scripture says, I shall make mention of the loving kindnesses of the Lord, the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he has granted them according to his compassion and according to the abundance of his loving kindnesses. For he said, Surely they are my people, sons who will not deal falsely, So he became their savior. In all their affliction, he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his mercy, he redeemed them, and he lifted them and carried them all the days of old. Okay. So within this, within everything that was happening in the course of history, God never stopped being faithful. He never stopped being merciful. He never stopped showing loving kindness, right? Because those are aspects of who he is. He is unchanging. And here at this time, he was then 
needing to move in redemption of his people to bring them out from under the bondage of Pharaoh and of Egypt. But within the aspect of knowing their sufferings and the scripture saying that in all their affliction he was afflicted, it was very important for Yeshua too to come and to know the sufferings of man. Right? Because within this we see a parallel. Right? Yeshua is the word made flesh. He descended to rescue. And in all the afflictions that man has known, he was afflicted such that he might identify with us, right? And then be the angel of God's presence who saves us. And it's out of his mercy and compassion that God moves to bring the redemption. What I felt this week was like the key message today would be, so the world will know. When God moves in redemption, it's not just to bring someone out of slavery. It's to reveal himself to those people and to the whole world. So the whole world will know who the one true God is, to see of his power, to see of his might, to know his name, right? To know his character and his nature. And he revealed that, of course, in Yeshua, and he's known our afflictions and he's carried us. And the story isn't complete, right? We know it's finished, but it's not complete. <laughs> so we're still walking through this time and waiting for the final redemption to come when Yeshua will return and every enemy will be put under his feet. In the meantime, we continue to persevere and we hold fast to this hope that we have. And we cling to the remembrance of God's faithfulness. There's a song by John Thurlow, and uh, it just came to my mind yesterday, and it was, I think it's called, I Remember Your Faithfulness. And the song doesn't have a whole lot to it, but it's really, I remember your faithfulness to Noah. I remember your faithfulness to Moses. I remember your faithfulness to David, and I remember your faithfulness to me. Right? We have all these remembrances of God's faithfulness and of his goodness. And it's those things that, that we cling to, that we hope in, in the midst of times and trials and seasons where things don't look exactly the way that we want them to look or think that they should look. You know, last week as, as we talked about what was taking place in the scriptures, God raised up a deliverer and he sent Moses to the, to the children of Israel and to Pharaoh. And when Moses came to them, he showed them the signs and wonders, and the, the children of Israel said, all right, our redemption is drawn nigh. Here we go. But then we saw the portion end with what was an apparent failure because Moses had come and he had addressed Pharaoh, but Pharaoh did not let the children of Israel go. He didn't not only, it wasn't just that he didn't set them free, he increased their suffering and their burdens. So it went from bad to worse. So the people who once had hope were now in a position of being left physically and spiritually beaten down. Right? I mean, they were already beaten down physically. And then their hope came up only to be shattered. And so, and then their physical labors worsened too. 
And dashed hopes can be devastating. Dashed hopes can be devastating. I think that's what makes pessimism so attractive. It's like, well, if I just assume everything's going to be bad, then I, I can't be too disappointed, right? So, you know, so pessimism sounds kind of good in some aspects. But, you know, the reality is pessimism is not good, and that's not what we're called to be. We're people, we are called to be people of faith. People of faith trust in that which is not yet seen. <laughs> because we have promises that we can cling to. We have the nature and character of God that we can cling to. So we're called to dare to believe. We're to look into the promises of the kingdom, take hold of those promises, and proclaim them. And to listen to what the Spirit of God says, and to call those purposes forth, and to bring them into the now. Right? Through the authority given to us through Yeshua, through his name, so that we can see the salvation, so we can proclaim the name of God, and so that the world may know who God is. But it's not always an easy task. And as we see in last week's portion, the people struggled with what was happening, but so did Moses, right? We find Moses, well, I was going to say between a rock and a hard place. He did get hidden in the rock one time. But uh, but in Exodus 5, let, let's go back and we'll kind of recap a little bit of last week's portion. Exodus 5, verses 20 through 6-1. The scripture says, When they left Pharaoh's presence, they met Moses and Aaron as they were waiting for them. And they said, May the Lord look upon you and judge you, for you have made us odious in Pharaoh's sight and in the sight of his servants, to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought harm to this people? Why did you ever send me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done harm to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for under compulsion he will let them go, and under compulsion he will drive them out of his land. So Moses was complaining. And, you know, when we look at his, his situation, we'd say, well, it looks like there's reason to complain, right? I mean, here God said, I'm going to send you. You're going to bring the people out. He comes and he addresses Pharaoh. He throw, Aaron threw down the staff. They showed their signs. Pharaoh said, yeah, that doesn't cut it. And now things are worse. But Moses had gotten disillusioned because the redemption hadn't happened according to the way he thought it would go. Because God said, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh's not going to listen. But Moses thought, okay, he's not going to listen for a, for a little bit. And then he'll, then he'll send them out, right? Surely? Surely he'll hearken to God's word. So Moses had an idea of how it was going to go. It wasn't how he expected. And so now he comes to the Lord and says, why have you even sent me? All that's happened is evil and harm. And so God re- replies, and continuing and carrying on into this week's portion, reading in Exodus 6, 2 through 8, God spoke further to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, and I appeared to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, Hashem, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they sojourned. Furthermore, I have heard the groaning of the sons of Israel because the Egyptians are holding them in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. 
Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will also redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Okay. I will bring you to the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Okay, so normally when the scriptures say that God spoke to Moses, it would say, Vayomer, and, and he spoke to Moses. But the way this reads in Exodus 6-2 is it, it's Vaidaver, or Vaidaber, okay? And so the sages took note of this and said, well, why is it different? Why, is, why wasn't it Vayomer and the Lord spoke? So what they understood from this was that there was actually a rebuke in the Lord's words to Moses at this time because of Moses' complaints. He was saying, and, and this is kind of the, the commentary on it, was that what the Lord was saying to Moses was, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they didn't complain to me when things didn't look the way they thought, but now you are. When I asked Abraham to take and offer his son on Mount Moriah, he didn't complain. He saddled his donkey early in the morning, even though it didn't look like he thought it was going to, or like it should go. So now Moses, where's your faith? You know, where's your faith? What have you placed it in? Your expectation of how I'm going to move? Or in what I've said I will do and my promises and my faithfulness to complete the words that I've spoken. And so that's what God begins to, well, one, there's a rebuke in it, but God also because he's a loving God and has a compassion, continues to say, no, I'm going to uphold my word. I'm going to bring about these things, and you're still going to go do it. You're not disqualified, nor is your task complete. So God reveals himself and says, the four, what's known as the four expressions of redemption, that I will take you out, I shall rescue you, I shall redeem you, and I shall take you as my people. And in doing this, God's affirming his covenant faithfulness. He's affirming his covenant faithfulness. He's expressing that he is a covenant-keeping God. And in his name, so the, the, the tetragrammaton, right? yod heh vav -He, God's sacred name, is understood to denote his mercy when he's acting in mercy and his kindness. Whereas like Elohim would rep represent his judgment. Okay, so when he says that he's revealing himself as yod heh vav -Heh, he's saying, I'm now acting in mercy towards my people, and I'm going to bring them out. And it's this aspect that he's going to be revealing to the whole world. In one aspect, to those who fear him, he'll be showing his mercy and his compassion. To those who don't fear him, he'll be showing judgment. So in... He's really acting in both aspects of his name, in both mercy and in judgment, different components of it. And it's his desire that people would see who he is to remember his faithfulness and for all to come to know him. So he tells Moses, go and tell the children of Israel that the time has come. I am going to move in deliverance. But in Exodus 6, 9 
Moses then takes what the Lord says and he goes to the children of Israel again and he says, he told exactly what God had said. The scripture says, but they did not listen to Moses on account of shortness of breath and cruel bondage. So the children of Israel, when Moses came back and said, no, God has said that now he's moving to do it, they couldn't listen. They couldn't receive the word the word because they had lost their hope. They had, they had already risked once in believing that God was going to do it. And could they draw up the strength to hear and to believe again? So when we, th- when we consider this and we look at where we stand today and whatever it is that we faith, face, have we had hope dashed? Have we had expectations unmet? Of course we all have. The question's not like, not, well, actually the question really does come down to, are we going to stay there? Are we going to renew our strength? Are we going to look to the word of God? Are we going to allow him to renew us by his faithfulness, by his promises? And to look as we sang earlier about nothing's impossible for God, that he's always with us. Right, that's that's the key. Now, kind of putting ourselves back into the, the position of the children of Israel. Moses comes back and says, no, 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 God's really going to move now. And I'm going to go to Pharaoh, and I'm going to tell him all these things again. Don't you know, they were probably like, come on, give it a rest. Haven't you done enough damage already? You're crazy. Back off, please, for our sake. But for their sake, praise God, he didn't. <laughs> praise God, Moses continued to go forward and said, well, even though it hasn't gone as I, as I thought, I still believe the word of God, and I'm still going to press in. I'm still going to pursue. And even though no man could bring about this redemption of the children of Israel from Egypt, Moses says, I'm still going to play my part. I'm still going to go out and do what God has said and trust him to take care of everything that needs to happen because only he can humble Pharaoh. Only he can set the children of Israel free. But God chose Moses and sent him to go out and to be his vessel, his instrument who would bring this about. Okay, so within this, the tradition, or traditionally, it was one year from the time that God spoke to Moses in the bush until the time of the Passover, until the time of the Exodus. Now, there's a few, there's a few competing opinions in that, but generally speaking, it's, it's a year or more of time that transpired. So God was ready to move and bring deliverance. He sends Moses. There's a delay. And then the judgments begin. And there's ten plagues. And the understanding of how the plagues played out is that there would be a warning for three weeks, and then the judgment would come and it would last one week. Okay? That was the first, the first plague. Then there would be three weeks of warning of the next plague, 
and then one week of judgment. And then the third plague would follow right after the other. Okay, and then plague four, three weeks of warning, one week of judgment. Plague five, same thing. And it was three sets of three. Okay, and so if you think about the timeline here, if you add all that up, it's about seven months of plagues. Okay, that's a long time. Now, I, I think it actually might have been shorter than that, but we won't go into the details of that at this point. But regardless, there was a, the understanding is that there was a long span of time that these judgments were taking place. And during these judgments, I still have to believe that the children of Israel weren't like, hey, it's here. It's about to happen. Because every time the judgment came and there was hope of Pharaoh saying, yeah, okay, I'll send you out, he changed his mind. Continually, over and over again. It's like, is anything ever going to get through? Is anything ever going to happen? So I, I don't know that they had great encouragement along the way. I may be wrong. But I could see how that could be a challenging time. So I, the question comes up, of, well, why was there such a delay? Why did God take so much time in bringing about the, the redemption and spending the time in these judgments? Why didn't he just come in and bring the smackdown? Right? And so he had purposes in it. Because, and I think there were, there were a few, and there's probably more than what we'll talk about now. But one thing is there was still a chance for Pharaoh to repent, interestingly enough, right? Because, you know, even though the wicked act in unrighteousness and can be desperately wicked, God still desires for all to come to repentance and, for, and to not see the destruction of any. And so he's still patient. Now, granted, there was a long time that Pharaoh could have repented in all the years that he had the children of Israel enslaved. But then God still gave him more time in the midst of the judgments to actually truly repent and turn from what he was walking in. But he didn't repent. Um, just on the lines of God not looking for any to perish, Second Peter 3.9 is a good reference for this. He says, the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So even though it looks slow, God has his purposes and the things that he's working out in the midst of what would look to us as delay. So God sustained Pharaoh in the midst of all the judgments so that he could bring about an even more miraculous deliverance. In Exodus 9, verse 13 through 16, the scriptures say, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and so that my name may be declared throughout the world. So here God acknowledges that he could have wiped out Egypt quickly. But he said, no, 
I'm doing this so that my name can be proclaimed to a greater degree, since the nations will hear of my great wonders and great power, and they will know that the Lord is God. Okay? So even, even today, we have the same situation, I believe. God is not slow about his promises. He is still working and moving to bring about a great deliverance in whatever it is that we face. I mean, we can talk about it on a macro level, right, within the nations, and we can talk about it in, even in our lives at times. When we have unanswered prayers, promises that have yet to be fulfilled that we've been waiting, it's like, Lord, are you coming through? Like, yeah, it's just the, the buildup is growing, right? The, uh, the buildup of the, of the victory is increasing. Now, one thing that sometimes comes up with the aspect of, of Pharaoh, you know, we, we mentioned that God sustained him and strengthened him, brought him and caused him to be able to stand so that God's glory could be revealed. There's often a question of, free will that comes up in the midst of, you know, did, did God cause Pharaoh to, uh, to do what he did? You know, did he force his hand? And according to the Jewish understanding is that Pharaoh maintained free will throughout the entire time. And we'll have to do another study on this at a different time. But it's fascinating to read in the scriptures. There's three Hebrew words that were used about the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, uh, which is kashe, which is, I mean, that really is, that's like a, um, a hard or difficult, the word has to do with hardness or difficulty. Sometimes the scriptures say the heart of Pharaoh was strong, which is chazak, which he was strong-willed, like he was clinging to his own will and going forward even in the midst of trial. And then there was another word, the scripture says that Pharaoh's heart is stubborn or heavy, which is kaved. Okay. So he had his own stubbornness. He had his own willfulness. And, uh, essentially what God did strengthen Pharaoh. He strengthened Pharaoh such that Pharaoh would not fail out of just weakness. In other words, God wanted to see true repentance, not just a, I'm worn out, I'm going to let the people go. So God instead enabled Pharaoh to go forward according to Pharaoh's heart, according to his desire, so that he'd either say, I truly repent, or I truly am going to hold to what I believe, which Pharaoh thought, you know, that he was a God himself, and so he was willing to stand against God's desire and God's call to repentance. So God strengthened him so that Pharaoh could walk in the ways that Pharaoh intended to walk. And in that, God revealed his power and his might. Okay. So that was one thing is that God was patient, looking for true repentance. Another aspect of God's delay was so that the cup of iniquity of Pharaoh and the Egyptians could become full. Okay. In Genesis 15, back when God was speaking to Abram about what was to come, 
Genesis 15, 13 through 16, God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed 400 years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go down to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. So what God was saying to Abram was that the land was to be was to be given to his offspring, but the land couldn't be given until the sins of the Amorite were complete and they had deserved to be driven from the land. They would have they would have earned God's judgment to have the land spit them out and for the children of Israel then to come and take their rightful place. And so within the intensification of the slavery that was being inflicted on the children of Israel, that actually was accelerating God's redemption. The difficulty they faced actually brought about a quicker deliverance from the hand of Pharaoh. Because as Pharaoh increased their burdens and increased the difficulty that they were living under, the cup of iniquity was filling up faster and faster. So God was in the midst of that, working it so that he could bring, again, a greater, mightier, and quicker deliverance. Uh, Hananel said that God may bring good fortune to the wicked in order to let their punishments accumulate for the future, and he may let the innocent suffer so that they will do, res- deserve greater reward later on. Right? And so that was one component of this. And right now, if we look at current events and what's going on, just to kind of pick back up a little bit on what we talked about last week, over the past week we've seen quite a, quite a shift in what's going on in the nation. We've seen, well, a great acceleration in the silencing of opposing views. We've seen, uh, well... Essentially, we've seen wickedness begin to show its face more and more within the United States. And what I believe is that the cup of iniquity is filling at an accelerated pace. The delay we're seeing in God moving in America can be likened to the delay that, uh, that took place in the time of Moses. Moses and the children of Israel became disillusioned in the face of this increasing burden. But what God said was that that was not the right attitude. The right attitude was to remember his faithfulness, to remember that he was going to bring about his promises, as was said. The deliverance is not yet complete, but it is underway. And so in the midst of it, what do we do as a body of believers? You know, We learn endurance. We learn persistent faith. We learn to see with spiritual eyes and to really exercise that faith and to continue to stand firm. Like I said, it's, it's easy when, when hope has been dashed or when the fear of the future comes in to kind of make you shrink back. But that's, that's not the time of shrinking back. That's the time of standing firm. That's the time of saying, no, I believe in the promises and the goodness of God. I believe that he is bringing about the return of Messiah. 
But his plans and purposes are not to leave his people abandoned. Because he's with us, just as he had promised to Jacob that he would go down and be with him. Right? He knows the suffering, and he knows the wickedness that is out there. And God judges unfaithful shepherds, right, to remove them. But he does it all in his timing. His timing doesn't always look like ours. But part of the thing is that he's beyond, he's beyond time. <laughs> his ways are higher than ours. And I was thinking about that during worship in Isaiah 55, verse 6. The scripture says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, all furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Hmm. The Lord's word goes forth and accomplishes what he has desired for it. Are you going to believe that in the times of trial? Yes, you are. <laughs> yes, you are. Because we're going to remember God's faithfulness. We're not going to judge by what our eyes see in the physical. We're going to judge by what we have been told is our hope and our heritage in the Lord and our future. We're going to look to the coming kingdom and the promises of the kingdom. And we will call forth that which we know has been established such that it will become manifest here on the earth. There is no power that can stand against God. There is no power that can stand against God. Those powers think they can, just like Pharaoh thought he could. <laughs> but they will fall. And they will do it by God's hand. Because what can man do? Well, we can't do a lot to save ourselves. But what we can do is trust in God and go according to what he said. And look to him to bring a great and miraculous salvation. Now, in Exodus 7, verses 1 through 5, this ties into our role. Exodus 7, 1 through 5, Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I make you as God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall speak to Pharaoh, that he let the sons of Israel go out of his, hand, out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, that I may multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. When Pharaoh does not listen to you, then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my hosts, my people, the sons of Israel, from the land of Egypt by great judgments. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the sons of Israel from their midst. So the scripture here said, God said, I will make you Elohim to Pharaoh. I will make you God to Pharaoh and I will make Aaron your prophet. 
Okay? So Pharaoh believed himself to be God. Pharaoh believed that he was Lord over the Nile, over the river, and Lord over Egypt. And so God says, I'm going to show Pharaoh that he's met his match, and I'm going to make you like unto God, and I'm going to make Aaron your prophet. And when, when God sent Moses to speak to Pharaoh, the, okay, remember how I said there were three sets of three, followed by the tenth judgment? Well, on the first of all three sets, he would go and encounter Pharaoh at the river. And then on the second of the three sets, or, you know, on the second judgment of each three sets, he would go to the palace and meet him. <laughs> so each time he was going and saying, you say you're Lord, but God is Lord over you, right? So God dismantled his authority, right? And made an open display of Pharaoh, just as the scripture says Yeshua did to the powers and the principalities <clears throat> by his resurrection. And anyway, so, but one of the things that struck me here was, you know, Yeshua is the very image of God. The word made flesh here on the earth. And he comes and does what Moses did, only to a greater level. Now, if God made Moses Elohim, like Elohim and Aaron his prophet, then Yeshua, he's made the Elohim, right? And then who is his, who are Yeshua's prophets? Yeshua's prophets or his emissaries, his ambassadors, is the body of believers, right? So if Yeshua has been leading forward, you know, has been making an open spectacle of the powers of this world, right? Who's his mouthpiece to declare his judgments, to declare his goodness, to declare his word? We are. That's our place. To listen to what the Spirit says, to look in his word, and then to go forth and carry out, declaring his goodness, bring that which has been uh, established in the heavens here onto the earth. Okay? So that's a pretty cool thing to think about, that we have this place. And in Amos 3, 7, the scripture says, Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. Right? So we get revelation through the, through the word, through the spirit, <clears throat> and then... It's our job to walk in accordance with that, to believe in accordance with that, and to make God's name known. And in the midst of all that, again, we have to have steadfastness and we have to have endurance because we see in part and we hear in part, right? So we prophesy in part. And our understanding may not be exactly what God's understanding is and what he's given, but his word is true, and so we faithfully declare according to what he has shown us, and we trust in him. So we build up our faith, we trust God, and we remember his faithfulness, okay? Back to the idea of the despair that can come at times. You know, even Elijah despaired, Moses despaired. But I was thinking about other stories of, of faith, you know, the this, this song I mentioned earlier, the faithfulness to Noah, to Moses, to David. Well, what about David? You have the story of David and Goliath. We don't get to talk about the story of David and Goliath too much. We're going to talk a little bit about it this morning. So in 1 Samuel 17, we'll read a, a couple of scriptures. And of course, okay, the story of David. When he was, getting, when he was going to face Goliath, 
Goliath was the champion of the Philistines and he was coming out and he was making taunts against the children of Israel and against God. And uh, Goliath was no small man. And so, of course, everyone feared to go out and fight him. But David recognized that the might in battle did not belong to David himself, but to God. And so he said, who is this that comes out and taunts the Lord our God? You know, what will be done for the man who, who takes him down? Well, so David says, David volunteers and says that he will go. And Saul, Saul allows him to go to the battlefield. David comes to the battle lines. And here in verse 45 of 1 Samuel 17, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will del- deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. The battle we face today is not one with sword or spear, but with the might of the Lord and by the power of his hand. But you know what? Goliath wouldn't have been defeated without someone partnering with God, without someone seeing the reality that even though the enemy looks great, even though the enemy looks unbeatable, doesn't rest on the power of man. It doesn't rest on the schemes of man. It rests on those, well, it rests on the one true God who calls those who are his to have faith in him, to trust in him and go, even in the face of that which would look impossible. Because God can deliver with a sling and a stone. A sling and a stone. Okay, just put ourselves back in this story. And you're one of the children of Israel who's in the army. And you're saying, okay, there's a champion who's come out to fight us, and we're going to send out our champion to go and to to fight him. And if if our champion loses, we're all slaves. And you see a guy going out to the battlefield without, (laughs) without a sword. I don't even know if he's really wearing armor, you know. He said he hadn't tested Saul's armor. And so he wasn't willing to wear it. So he goes out there with a sling and five stones. If you're looking at that, I don't think you're going to have a whole lot of confidence in what's going to happen to you if you just look at with the eyes of man. But when you look with the eyes of the Lord, it's a whole different thing. And that's what David did. That's what David did. And when it came time to fight, he ran to the line. He ran to the line, into the confrontation, into the fray. Man, and God brought a mighty deliverance. And the children of Israel struck the Philistines. Wow. It's beautiful to think of the goodness of God. Because see, I think David did exactly what we're talking about. 
he looked into the potential, into the reality that was greater than what his eyes could see. And he took that reality and he brought it into the present. First Peter 2.9 says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Mm-hmm. Praise God. Now, I want to jump back to Isaiah 63. And I feel like this is, um, I feel like this is to be a prayer. So let's just lift this to the Lord. In Isaiah 63, verses 11 through 14. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he, wait, hang on one second. I think the verses are on the screen, maybe a little different than what I have. Oh, I see. I've got the wrong starting verse. Okay, verse 11. Then his people remembered the days of old of Moses. Where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put his Holy Spirit in the midst of them? Who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses? Who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name? Who led them through the depths like the horse in the wilderness? They did not stumble. As the cattle which go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make your, for yourself a glorious name. And continuing in Isaiah 64, verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence, as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things which we did not expect, you came down. The mountains quaked at your presence. For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. You meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in your ways. Behold, you are angry, for we sinned, we continued in them for a long time, and shall we be saved? And Lord, we do cry out for salvation from you. We ask you, Lord, to rend the heavens and to come down. We ask you, Lord, to move for the sake of your people, for your great name's sake, that you may be known in all the earth. We thank you, Lord, that you have shown yourself faithful. We thank you, you are the one who upholds your word, who establishes your name and your purposes, and whose words go forth to accomplish all that you desire. We thank you, Lord. We trust in your goodness. We trust in your, uh, we trust in your name. And it's our desire to proclaim it and to walk with you, Lord. We ask that you would speak to our hearts and our spirits, that you would reveal to us what we are to do and what we are to say in this time, how we are to align our hearts, how we are to strengthen ourselves in your word, how we are to have spiritual eyes to look beyond the physical, to know your heart. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Um, I don't know if, uh, I don't know if y'all noticed yesterday the strong winds that blew through town. Okay, 
Strong winds blew through town. Uh, yesterday afternoon, I turned on a, uh, a YouTube show that I, I don't normally watch. I think I've seen a few clips of it now and then, but uh, I was like, well, I'm going to put this on, and I'm just going to have it playing in the background while I'm doing work. And there came this part where uh, they, pulled, they pulled up a prophecy that had been given in early December, where um, in, the, in this nine-minute segment, this guy starts talking about how God's time that he's moving in is not according to our time. And he starts bringing up these things. And, and as he's speaking, he began to speak a word of the Lord that God was going to send strange winds or mighty winds across the U.S. so much that it would be, that the media would report on it. Okay. And that these winds would be a sign of change that God was sweeping across America. And it wouldn't be a change that would take us back, but it would be one that is taking us forward. It would be a transformation. And so on the 14th, which is two days ago now, on Thursday is when this episode came on and they brought this up. They said, you know, today on the 14th, the media was reporting that like eight locations across the U.S., there were these strong winds that were, were taking place and surprising winds. And, and how that was a sign that God was bringing forth His Word and He was bringing this change. Okay? Somewhere over 100 miles an hour. Okay, I didn't read the article, but yeah. So, these weren't tornadoes. These weren't, these, it was just the wind coming, right? Next week, actually in two weeks, there's the, the Red Sea crossing, right? And God causes the wind to blow to separate the sea, to bring deliverance. God uses wind at times to reveal that he's working. And when we see, especially when you see an east wind, I think these were westerly, westerly winds, but that's okay. But still, so I, I saw that and I was uh, excited about it and I, I sent that out to a few people. But then later on in the day, not long after that, someone's, someone's standing at my door and we're talking and, and I look out the window and just mighty winds are coming through. I mean, <laughs> rushing through. I'm like, Oh, there's winds, you know, and then I think there's a few things going around where people are seeing strong winds in Arkansas and across Houston. So it's like this wind is moving at this point in time. Now, if we wanted to, we could say, well, it's just wind. But we could look with eyes of faith and say, no, God prophesied this would happen, that it would be reported in the media. And that's what we're seeing happen this week. God is on the move. Change is occurring. But we have to have spiritual eyes to see it. And the prophets declare it. Right? So, God's still on the move. He's still bringing about His changes. He's bringing about a change in America. It's a good change that is coming. And uh, so that's, that's exciting. That is exciting. Um, so, as we go through the week, coming weeks, Keep your eyes on the Lord and on His promises. And His timetable may look different than our timetable. And that's okay. That doesn't mean that His Word won't be fulfilled. So we still look to Him, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who strengthens us, encourages us, and sends us these signs as an encouragement. Right? So even though I mentioned before, you know, it's like, okay, as the judgments were coming, you know, one after the other, and oh, that one didn't work. 
oh, that one didn't work. It could have been discouraging to the children of Israel, but it could have been a great encouragement. Hey, God's not through yet, right? Judgment one didn't work, but he's saying that two is coming, and then three and four, until finally he says, now it's going to happen. And so we'll get to read more about that in next week's portion. When the exodus occurs and God establishes, or God, God completes his judgment and brings his people out. So may it be. May it be. Okay. Um, does anybody have anything that you wanted to share or say? Just a, um, a comment on, on the David and Goliath scene. Someone was telling me <clears throat> that a sling on a staff can actually shoot a rock at over, way over 100 miles an hour, right? And we know that David was a shepherd. So um, just the imagery, right? Um, and what you were saying about the, just the verses, how they tie together, that it's not a battle of, it's not a physical battle. It's not a battle of swords and spears. It's not a battle of our eyes, right? But um, e- even what is overlooked, right, like a sling, um, is the deciding factor, right, is the mm-hmm. victory. Yeah. So. yeah, something that looks small in the hand of God is <laughs> it's, uh, unlimited, right? Yeah. Praise God. And, and that's the thing, too. Okay, well, if you look, I think this is an important part that you mentioned, you know, like David was a shepherd, and so he was trained and skilled. He had learned how to, how to use the weapon. It wasn't his first time, like, oh, hey, I think I'll use that. Instead, he was skilled, and so he had been trained up and prepared for that day. He, but, you know, when he was doing all that training, he wasn't thinking, you know, someday I might use this in battle. He was thinking, no, this is what I do as a shepherd, and I'm taking care of the sheep. And then the day comes, and he says, well, this, Lord, is where you have trained me. This is where you have made me skilled, and now I'm going to go and allow you to use me in this case. And so that's why our training matters. That's why our persistence in faith and training ourselves to see with spiritual eyes and not just to look at, oh, what's the latest news story or what's my time frame? Oh, we got four more days. The four days aren't the big deal, okay? <laughs> God's the big deal. So, but let's let's look to Him. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, yeah, bless God. So, anything else? You made me think about how He says <clears throat> how it might appear to us that uh, the movement of the Lord has been stayed in certain aspects, or even in times, or instead of, okay, you know, there should be movement here, or some sort of progression. Uh, things might seem like they've stagnated. Uh, but it's only because, like you said, the, the, glory of the, Lord, the glory of the Lord might be able to come forth in an even greater capacity, completely hidden to us. Uh, like how you said, that there was a capacity for the Lord to have given mercy to Ramses on multiple occasions, every time, in fact. Uh, but I don't know. I've never thought of it that way. I was just like, ah! You know, he, he decided to say no again and again until finally he was broken and then they were free. Um, but that's 
you know, when you put on the spiritual spectacles, uh, that's a thing to keep in mind for sure now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that I'll be doing what I can to think of uh, what might appear slow to only be a true grandeur at work. Yeah. So, Amen. Amen. Yeah, and the story of <clears throat> David and Goliath makes me think about how God desires partnership. And he virtually always uses human partnership to accomplish his purposes, right? Mm-hmm. With David and Goliath, you know, yeah, it was a small tool in his hands. And it wasn't, you know, the, the weapon itself that was going to achieve the victory. It was going to be the Lord. But he still had the weapon. He still mm-hmm. had his physical man put in place at the right time so that he could use it. What if David had not stepped forward? I mean, the Lord could have just struck down Goliath while he was out there taunting him, but he didn't, you know. And even with the judgments in Egypt, he still required a man, you know. Yeah, he absolutely, he could have just struck down the Egyptians, destroyed them all in in an instant and brought his people out. But he was still looking for and raising up a deliverer that he could work through. I mean, even at the parting of the Red Sea, you know, it's like that was God's mighty act, right, of deliverance for the people. I mean, one of the greatest you know, deliverance stories in all of history, if not the greatest. And even still, Moses had to stretch out his staff. He still had to hear and obey the word of God, you know? And so it takes that, that faith that's even the size of a mustard seed, like the stone in David's sling to go out and, you know, in the Lord's victory and accomplish that. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I wanted to share too that, um, This is kind of loud. It, uh, the uh, that the Lord's plan has purpose, right? And it, and it's and it can be seen in various ways. Um, and one of the one of the things that I see on the story is that the that when when the hell rained down, when when Moses presented the the case that this was going to happen, it says that the people the the Pharaoh's assembly heard the word of God. And they decided to call his servants home and their livestock. Mm-hmm. But there was a group that didn't listen and decided to leave their, their, their servants and their livestock outside. So we can see that the event was also turning the heart of those who were not even nearby to him. So it was bringing back people from afar, near, and at, at all level. The Lord was reaching out to everyone, even to Moses. When the Lord revealed himself to Moses, Moses has so many questions about his relationship with God. I can't do this. I can't do that. What about this? What about... And God has to prove, hey, I am going to work through you. You have to trust me. You have to have faith. So the whole event is even strengthening the heart of Moses himself then to his own people and then to Egyptians. So out of all, from so many different angles, what God is doing is impacting everyone. Uh and, and, and that's it. And that's, it, to me, that's like the biggest picture is to bring his people back to himself. Not only those who are really near, but those also, also those who are far. You know, yes. um, and we might see the situation today has been bad per se, but the Lord's plan is to bring everyone to himself, no matter what level or place in your spiritual walk you are. He wants you to return. Mm-hmm. And into that, does if that doesn't happen, then there is no point of just saving those who are near. Is 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 the goal is to reach to uh, to everyone. That's what the Lord desires. That, like you said in the beginning, for all of us to repent and to return 
uh, back to him. Yeah. Amen. That's, that's uh, such a key, right? Is that, and that should affect how we pray as well, right? Because no one is beyond repentance. No one is beyond redemption. No matter what it looks like at the moment, they still have the chance to hear the word of God and to turn, to see his mighty works and to turn. So, so what everybody is saying today is amazing and awesome. And I think it's so, you know, so pertinent that we're hearing this at this point in time because I feel like in my spirit that this is the part of the story of our lives where we get to jump into the story and be a part of that, you know? And I think it's that part where God's, you know, wants us to be part of that. And, and there's a part where he needs us to be a part of that story, you know? And he needs us to be able to be open, to be vulnerable, and to step into faith and say, you know, the time's coming where, you know, I need you. I need you to be able to proclaim what's going on, where is this going and stuff. And it's just one of those things where listening to everybody just just makes me just get excited, ready to see what's going to happen and yeah. stuff like that. And just the next couple of days, just a couple of days, a couple of weeks, a couple of months, you know, for the rest of our lives, just be ready, ready, you know, so... I just wanted to share that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for these things. Lord, we thank you that you've called us out of darkness into your marvelous light, that we may, may declare the beauty of your name, your glory. Lord, I ask that you would strengthen us, and I thank you for the opportunity to be ambassadors of Messiah to be able to, to partner with you. Lord, I ask that you'd strengthen us, that you'd speak to our hearts. You'd reveal your truth to us by your spirit and help us, Lord, to call your promises and your kingdom forth into the now such that you may be declared so that the world may know that you are the one true God. And that they may repent, Lord, help us to, to love our neighbors well, to love uh, you well, and to be the lights that shine in the darkness as you shine through us. We bless you in the name of Yeshua. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas.